Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. This goes out on Thursday nights and just go to Switzer Financial Group on YouTube and make sure you press the like button and become a subscriber. On tonight's show, the founder of Your Empire, Chris Gray, shows you how he makes lots of money out of investing in older apartments. And then the founders of M Squared Capital, which is a mortgage income fund, will tell you what questions you should be asking when you're lending money to a fund like them. The way they invest is something really interesting for you to have a good look at. Without any further ado, let's go and talk to Chris Gray, the founder of your empire. At a time when house prices are on the rise again, which has surprised a lot of experts in the housing and property sector, apartments have a few question marks over them because of cladding issues and structural problems. I'm going to talk now to Chris Gray, the founder of Your Empire. He puts clients of his into apartments, so I'd like to see his take on what's going on right now. Chris, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, um, so Chris, has the apartment issue been a problem for you and your clients? Sure. And I, I think the thing we start off is just as we know there's not one property market or one economy, mm. there isn't one apartment market. And so there's a major difference between brand spanking new apartments where there's a thousand in a block and your kind of classic Bondi block of 12 mm. that has been there for the last 50 or 60 years. Mm. So as an investor, typically I'm getting into the old stock, the double bricks that's been there forever. And as long as you treat a bit of concrete cancer, you're pretty much set. Mm. Whereas when you've got an apartment block with a thousand units in there, the cladding is just one part of it. Mm. Uh, as an investment, you always think that if one person drops their pants the other side of the world and drops their rent or drops the apartment price mm. because they're having personal problems, as all the units are exactly the same, it drops every single property price. So it's mm. a very speculative investment anyway, mm. let alone dealing with bu building and cladding issues. I didn't think you'd be talking about people dropping their pants, but this is why you're on the <laughs> program, Chris. Um, now, some people uh, listening to this would say, but oh, I've read books on property where they say that the, the plus of buying a brand new apartment is the depreciation allowance. Is it over 20 years? And yep. that, and that yep. becomes or a cost. 25 years, yeah. 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 So again, you've got to take it everything with a pinch of salt because mm. if I was selling brand new apartments, mm. I'd be saying, yes, Peter, go and buy an apartment. You pay too much tax mm. and so you should get some depreciation back. Yeah. But let's just say a, a second-hand apartment was a million dollars, for instance. Mm. If you're buying in a brand new block, you might be paying 1.2, 1.3 or even $1.5 million. Mm. So quite often you're paying for the privilege anyway, mm. just like buying a brand new car. Yeah. And we all know those depreciate. Mm. And so effectively, as soon as you buy that brand new apartment, it might have dropped a couple of hundred thousand already. So even if you get another five or ten grand back in tax, it's still a false economy. You've mm. overpaid for it. Mm. And the same thing goes for rental guarantees. Is A lot of developers give you rental guarantees. Mm. So if they think in the old days, $500 a week was a 500 grand unit. Yeah. So if they give you a rent guarantee of 600, you think your property is worth 600 grand. So you pay an extra 100,000. But if they're paying them an extra 100 bucks a week, five grand a year, for 10 grand, two-year guarantee, they've made another 90,000. Mm. So, so that's a lot of quick numbers, yeah. but effectively false so, economy. So, you know, let's assume that you're not in your 20s, that you, yeah. you actually have a few years under your belt. Sure. The way you select properties for your clients, was that learning a lot of this at the coalface that maybe when you were younger you, you might have gone in new apartments but you started to realise that having a, 
a vintage classic car slash property is probably the better way to go. Oh look, 100% of my business is doing duplicating what I've done for myself. Mm. So I started at 22 buying my first property in uh, St Albans in the UK, semi-retired at 31, and then started teaching people because I was surrounded in a professional accounting firm by people that earn half a million or a million dollars, but they actually had nothing to show for it. Mm. And I'm sure you'd see the same in your business. Yeah. And so I was just buying lots of assets and that was making me money passively mm. from properties doubling typically every seven or 10 years. Mm. And I just learned that the shiny things weren't the be all and end all and buying the ugly duckling, mm. but in a great location, generally through GFCs and ups and downs, that was the thing that was solid. Chris, are you like me when it comes to stocks? I love buying stocks when everyone's scared. Do you buy property when everyone's scared? So my rule on properties, I buy when I've got the money to buy, mm. when the bank lends it, and I've got enough cash flow or working capital to hold me through three to five years. Mm. So I've bought in the GFCs, I've bought in the, the, the booms and the bus, mm. and it's like dollar cost averaging. The difference is with dollar cost averaging in property is it cost me a million bucks to, uh, mm, to dollar sure. cost average. All right. Tell us what you're seeing in the Sydney property market now. You, we talked before the show and you were surprised at the strength of the rebound. But what are you seeing in the Sydney market where you're shopping for your, either for yourself or your clients? Sure. And again, there is multiple markets, but around that kind of million dollar investment market. For apartments, we're talking? For apartments. Yeah. For two years, we've been telling everyone to buy now. Mm. Since 2017, no one's been in the market. There's still stock on the market, mm. and it's a great time to buy because there's, there's, no, there's no competition. Mm. But no one would listen to us. Mm. And I think I even said at the last time I was on your show, people are saying, why buy now when I can buy in three months and the price will be lower? <laughs> yeah. And nine o'clock on Monday morning after the election, mm. the world changed, and it, they suddenly missed it. Mm. And there's now reports in the paper of one bedroom Bondi sold 400 grand over reserve. 1.28 million for a one-bedroom unit in a building mm. that needs maintenance. Mm. And people are paying it because there's two years of pent-up demand that people wanted to buy, but they didn't have confidence in the market. Mm. And it's the basics of supply and demand. Sure, inter low interest rates helps. Um, people are still struggling with serviceability to get loans. Mm. And so I think there's even more demand out there that will come around in the next six to 12 months. Chris, you mentioned uh, Bondi, but are all apartments across Sydney enjoying the same kind of no. passion for their properties. So, and look, I use Bondi just because everyone knows it. Yeah, but and as opposed to you can always easily sell because there's all the people that want to live there. Exactly, yeah. and there's limited supply. So if you look at the areas, say, like the Green Squares or the Alexandrias, where we all know that mm. there's thousands and thousands of apartments mm. or maybe the Parramattas, mm. then certainly in those areas, developers aren't selling stock. Mm. Because a few years ago, they were selling it to the foreigners, mm. and foreigners have to buy brand new. Mm. They, they, they can't buy secondhand. Mm. And suddenly that market got wiped out. And with all the APRA and the Banking Commission, the serviceability issues, people just aren't buying that kind of property. Mm. So. Is there buying, are there buying opportunities, not for people who want to necessarily make money, but if a person wants to buy an apartment to live in, the, live in them, are the prices actually quite low? Yeah, if you want to negotiate with a developer, I can't think of a better time to do it. Yeah. As you say, I wouldn't necessarily get it as a long-term investment, mm. but for a lot of young people, you just need to step in the market. Mm. You're not going to live there forever. Mm. It may not be the best thing, but do I believe prices in five or 10 years, even for developer stock, will be higher? Yes, I do, because mm. of supply and demand again. Mm. So um, you and I talked about the likelihood of a 40% fall in house prices. It didn't materialise. 
But do you think it, it could happen in Australia, a big fall like that? Not across the market. Mm. For developer stock, potentially. And over the last few years, we've heard of people rescuing developers, buying 30 or 40 apartments at one time, mm. and this would be in the big end of town. Um, but it's one-off shocks. Mm. It's, it's just like you'd see in the equities market, quick blips and people taking advantage of that. Mm. But to try and get 40% across the board, especially in these good areas where there's no more property. Mm. Um, I went to an auction on one, my first property I bought in Australia in 99. Mm. In 20 years, one other property had sold in the building. Mm. When you have that short supply, another one went up for sale, literally on the anniversary of 20 years, and it sold a few hundred thousand over. Mm. And that's what happens when you get short supplies. So the main thing is, is if you want to play the armchair game, which is what I do, I'm investing for decades, is you just buy good quality property at a reasonable price. You don't need to, to um, get it 20% off because you're not going to get it off. Mm. And you just wait. When you're buying stuff for yourself or for a client and the market is as hot as it is now and unrealistic, well, they are realistic because people are actually paying, but, but when you get these excessive prices, what do you do? Do you just have to say to your client and to yourself, have to wait? You walk away. Mm. So what we do is we get independent valuations. So even though we know the market inside out, mm. we pay 660 for valuation, mm. 440 for building, 250 for strata. So we're paying 1300 bucks in due diligence for every property. Mm. And if it goes a dollar over that valuation, typically we just walk away mm. and we move on to the next one. Mm. But it makes what, what it very, you, very what, hard. What do your clients say when, like, you might do it five? What's the, what's yeah. the most you've ever done with a client? So, <laughs> and, exactly. and they didn't buy a property so, and they hated you as a consequence. Because the way it goes, you'll get 10 clients, they buy it first time, mm. and on that 11th, they'll have five in a row. Mm. So we actually guarantee they won't pay more than three. Mm. So we'll pick up the bill because it's nothing to do with them. It's just bad luck and the yeah. wind's going in the wrong direction. Mm. But that's the trouble. And so sometimes you actually have to think, do I pay 10 or 20 grand over because in a year's time, if the market keeps continuing, it's going to be 100 grand over. Mm. So you've still got to take, treat that with a bit of uh, a pinch of salt at the same mm. time. So how long have you been in this game? So 27 years. Okay. So, so you came, were you in the UK in So 22 to 27. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so I started it in 91 till 97 in the UK. Mm. And then for the last 30 years, pretty much in okay. Australia. So what's the worst period that you've lived through for house prices going in the wrong direction and you're thinking gee I made a mistake here see I don't think they've actually gone down no. give or take five percent mm. so in the GFC in London so I bought 20 miles north of London St Albans mm. and full of young people heritage conservation area so there's no more property mm. all the people in the UK they were paying one percent mortgages the 25 to 35 year olds still had jobs they still had wealthy parents that mm. would bail them this out. This is the GFC or the 1990 recession you talking This about. is GFC. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. You held that property. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I bought them for 80,000, they're now five or 600,000 pounds. Mm. And because the young people have got jobs. Mm. And so that's where we invest in areas that are full of young people, mm. not people my age now where we've got kids and expect, I'm just paying school fees. Mm. That's, that's the raw to, that's worse than tax, paying uh, Sydney school fees. <laughs> and so, a lot of people that are in the 30s or 40s have actually got less disposable income than a 25-year-old. Mm. So that's what our target market is, is 25-year-olds that have got high propensity to spend money mm. to be in the right location. Okay, so if you had to put in a nutshell the most important lessons you've learned about buying property effectively, what would you say they are? Someone told me before, location, location, location. I can't remember who it was, mm -hmm. but they were a genius. Yeah. 
And the other thing is uh, Nike, just do it. You've just got to get in the market. Mm. No matter what friends and family and the media are saying, mm. at some point you've just got to get in the market. And generally, even if you make a mistake in property, as long as you can hold on for a reasonable amount of time, mm. most mistakes come out. And the reason most people don't make money in property is they never take any action, so they're not even in the market. Mm. And then they're waiting for property prices to crash, which typically they've never really done. Okay, one last question, one last question. I recently interviewed Andrew Winter. Yep. What, what is it with you poms and real estate coming <laughs> out here and becoming television stars? Is, is it something that you're actually being, is, is, is there, we, we think in Australia that we love property. Yeah. Are, are English people the same? Do they really love property like uh, we do? hundred percent. It was just inbred in you that mm. you had to rent money's dead money and so you go and buy property. Mm. But it's funny, I've got 14 or 15 properties, but I'm actually a renter now. Mm. which we've talked about before is mm. rent vesting. So I actually gone the, the full circle. Mm. So I've got a lot of property, but I know to rent five or $10 million homes, it's cheaper to rent it rather than buy it. Mm. But I think most places around the world, I think there's a few European countries that aren't into the buying. It's maybe Sweden or, or Germany or mm. something like that. Mm. But most people, bricks and mortar. I know you love your shares, mm. but it's hard to go too far wrong over the long term. Yeah, great stuff. Chris Gray, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's Chris Gray from Your Empire. At a time when term deposit interest rates are so low, lots of investors are going up the risk curve and many times they end up in mortgage investment trusts. The guys I'm going to interview now have one of those mortgage investment trusts, it's called M Square Capital, and they're going to explain exactly what would happen if you invest in a company like this. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So it's Paul Mirren and Paul Miliotis. Okay. So Paul, you first. Sure. Um, what is M Square Capital? Explain that to my, my viewers. Essentially, M Square Capital is a non-bank lender. We match up uh, op uh, investment opportunities in mortgages mm. to investors. Mm. And your interest rates are higher than term deposits yeah. because ultimately they're a little bit more risky than term deposits. Pre precisely. Yeah. yeah. And so, so a absolutely, the risk is higher. Mm. And however, there is a lot. Uh, there's an opportunity at the present moment because the margin between what a borrower is prepared to pay. And the, and the actual return versus the risk-free rate, which is a, term, a, a typical term deposit, never been higher. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to understand how your business works. So effectively, people will give you money and you then uh, will lend it to projects and they're not just, um, they're not just development projects, but a mortgage tends, is in every uh, actual opera, uh, lending uh, transaction, is that right? Exactly. Mm. So <clears throat> it doesn't have to be a project or a development. Mm. It's a, a slight misconception. So we, at, so far in our business, we've only lent 10% of our capital that mm. we have done or lent so far has right. been to pro uh, property development or construction purposes. Uh, all our purposes are for business purposes, mm. and so they vary from you know the basically a self-employed individual who works some requires some working capital, mm. and he would like to borrow some money mm. as long as he has a property or a physical asset that he, we're able to take a first mortgage over yeah. or a second mortgage over, then we're able to lend the money. Well, Paul, why don't you give us an example of a typical borrower that would come to you that then a, a typical depositor or l a lender 
would end up being uh, in, in connection with? No problem. Um, our business typically is on the lower side of the risk curve. Mm. So typically our borrowers will, or our investors should I say, will receive 6% as a first mortgage basis to about 7.5% as a return. That's what you can expect. Mm. For that, the risk that you'd be looking to take is lending no more than 65% of the value of a particular property. Mm. So if you look at our website, you'll see some of the, 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 the developments or some of the um, deals we've lent to. Mm. We've done a deal where you've lent against a premium property in Vaucluse. We've done a block of units in Burwood, New South Wales. We've done an industrial property in Botany, which was a very low loan to value ratio. Mm. So we do very diverse things. Mm. Um, we typically look at a first mortgage basis on a lower risk basis. Mm. Um, we generally don't lend in areas which we believe are a little bit riskier, so yeah. farmland in far north or You won't Victoria. be able to sell it easily if something goes that's, wrong. That's yeah. one of the requirements when we look at credit yeah. that we look at. Can we readily sellable if in an unlikely event we have to take possession, are investors going to get their money back? Mm. If the answer is potentially no, then there's no deal. Mm. If it is, mm. you know, categorically yes, well then there's a deal for us. Okay. And what I found interesting is that you guys aren't a pooled fund, so the, the person giving their money to you mm -hmm. can actually know where their money is going to go. Precisely. Mm -hmm. So we have what's called a contributory fund. Mm -hmm. So therefore, a separate unit trust is established specifically for that investment opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore, the investor is able to receive the full due diligence pack on that particular investment opportunity being the and I call it in the article the five critical questions. Mm. So, so what is the security? Uh, uh, who, how good is the character of the actual borrower? Uh, what is his cash flow? So, in the, in the event that, uh, how strong is his cash flow? So you make so to ensure that he's able to pay us back mm. on a monthly basis. Yeah. Uh, what is his competency? Is he competent at what he's been doing, presently and in the past? And what's what is the real purpose of the funds? Mm. So. The amalgamation of all of these questions are very critical to making a risk assessment on the transaction mm. and then determining how much risk, how much return yeah. the investor should be getting. So, so you guys think that there, there are five questions that need to be answered and that they, sure. they pretty well co were covered in the sort of questions that you ask of the person you're going to lend money to. Exactly. But is there anything else that a potential lender of their money to you should yeah. be thinking about before they actually do that? So it's our personal belief mm. that if you are investing in any mortgage investment, mm. that you want to make sure that the manager is asking those right questions and you want to be able to see that you can actually make that assessment yourself as well. Mm. So we have to do our obligation if, in understanding credit in unraveling all of that credit, which is very, very critical. And look, we've been doing it for a very long time. Mm. Uh, I've been doing it for, I've been in the industry for 20 years. And in that 20 years, you learn the questions you need to ask. Mm. Um, you need to really have a good feeling for, for who the borrower is. In the event, if any particular event happens, how is he going to behave? Mm. Is he going to go under a rock or make the right decisions? Yeah. Um, so those are the things that we ask of the borrower mm. and we collate that information and give it to the investor as well. So why do people who need money, who you ultimately lend to, and, and the people who come to you give you the money to lend, why do they um, go to a, a, an organisation like yours? Um, look, Peter, there's a misconception that borrowers that are coming to mortgage um, funds are deemed extremely risky. Mm. Um, in recent past, I would suggest that that is not true. Mm. The banks, there's no 
um, hiding that the banks have tightened up their credit policy. Mm. So we are finding those particular niches that the banks do not want to lend to mm. for extremely strong clients, and they're the type of deals we are looking for. Mm. I'll give you an example. Um, when a developer has finished a block of units, so not a development or a construction deal. Yeah. The banks have and got it's a, not falling apart. It's and not falling no apart. Problem. And look, there's there's a due diligence. Yeah. What we say it as a, as a joke. Yeah. The, the due diligence behind what we have to do to make sure that's happened mm. is huge. Mm. But all those things being equal, the bank's appetite to lending to these particular asset classes has reduced. Mm. So we're seeing that type of borrower coming to us, where they just need that little bit extra to do another project. We're seeing no development risk. Mm. We can walk past the property and we're lending no more than 60% of that particular asset. Mm. So in our risk assessment, we think that is the lowest possible risk for the highest return for our investors. Yeah. And you guys have got BIS, Oxford Economics, to do some mm. figuring out for you. What, what was that figuring and what was the, the conclusion? So the analysis was is to take our to, to basically uh, stress test our credit policy and the credit policy is to take security um, essentially not more than 25 kilometers from each CVD so we only lent against assets against the Eastern Seaboard mm. and so the analysis was this is that if we lent money to someone at the worst possible time and li unlikely event he had to go into default mm. we had to sell the asset at the worst possible time so from the peak to the trough yep. we would we would be able to still recover 100% of the investors' capital plus their interest. Mm. So, so the, this ongoing analysis ensures us that we're that we're making sure that at a forefront of our mind is asset preservation for our investors. Mm. Can I touch on that too, Peter? Yeah. A lot of people think that the peak to trough, the worst or the biggest peak to trough, is actually the GFC. If you look at the actual research that we had, mm. the worst peak to trough that we've seen or in our working mm. history was probably in the recent past in the two, 2016 market. Yeah. And that peak to trough was about 20%. Mm. So the people that took an aggressive view and lent a huge amount against those assets could be caught. Mm. So that's what it stress tested that we were choosing the right investments mm. and in the right areas that weren't specialised and that our particular mortgage fund would have been protected if we actually had to sell in that market. Mm. The, look, there was a lot of interesting in information. It was about the residential and we actually mapped out commercial and industrial property as well. Yeah. Um, so so it, all of these things form our, our opinion about how rig rigorous we are in relation to our credit and mm. certain asset classes as well. Okay. Um, but also, you guys actually do put your own money into a lot of these projects. Is that right? Absolutely. So we co-invest. So M Square Capital and even our personal funds, mm. we we often co-invest in every single transaction we, mm. that we offer to our investors. What do you think over the time that you've dealt with sophisticated investors? Mm. That's what we're talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, and what is the defini definition of a sophisticated investor? Well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very common definition that we call sophisticated investors. Um, it's actually wholesale investors. So mm. from a legal perspective, a wholesale investor is someone who has net assets of $2.5 million or income over $250,000 a year. Mm. Or invests half a million dollars in one lump sum. Okay. So, so despite being a wholesale fund, um, we, our research and our analysis and our due diligence in every single transaction, uh, we feel that, is, that, that an investor who puts money into any mortgage mm. should be getting a minimum amount of information on that particular transaction. Mm. 
Because if we have learned any lesson from the GFC is that you need to have direct transparency to what you're investing in. Yeah. And on that point as well, Peter, we're seeing in the marketplace as well, some of these investors not understanding what they're putting their money into. Yeah. And we're seeing, for example, people thinking they're investing in a first mortgage when actually there might not be a mortgage at all at in all. place. Yeah. So knowing what you're investing in, I think, is critical. Mm. The beauty about M Squared Capital and the contributory nature of our business is you can see the actual asset you're lending your money to. Mm. There's nothing to hide. You can ask for the due diligence pack, which is about 50 pages, that has the valuation of the property, our risk, um, our risk matrix. Mm. You can look at the, the actual sponsor. You can see a high level of his assets and liabilities. So you can make your own assessment. So you're, you're also effectively saying that someone who might be investing with you, you guys could get all this information and take it to their own accountant to actually go through it to see whether they actually believe the figures behind it. Absolutely, and if they don't believe or understand it, mm. don't invest in it. Mm. Very exactly simple. Right. Guys, is there any other question I should ask that <laughs> I haven't asked? Yeah, basically you can underline my, my weaknesses. <laughs> but, but you have a lot of people who you've dealt with. What is a common question that maybe we haven't covered? I think one thing that is very important, and we've, I'll, I'll give you a specific example, is we looked at a particular transaction that was a very low gearing for a fund. So it was geared at around 30% of the valuation of the property. Mm. And a lot of people only look at the property in its sole mm. nature. Mm. We made an assessment not to write that particular transaction. Despite the fact Despite that it sounded, the fact sounded low risk. It yeah. sounded low risk. The, the actual yield to the investor was very high. Mm. Yep. And we made a business decision in our credit committee and it's mm. our credit committee, we have to have unanimous agreement. Mm. So we had one out of the three saying no and two of the three saying potentially and ended up being knocked. The reason being it was mm. a specialised security mm. that was a little bit further out uh, um, than you probably would like. Mm. So my view and well the view of the business actually is look above and beyond the actual asset. Mm. There's more to doing a mortgage deal than yeah. just the property. Mm. It's very important, probably one of the most important attributes mm of why we do a deal, but not the sole one. And so in a sense you're saying you, you like to believe that every um, investment you go into, it's very easy for you to escape with your client's money intact. In, in That's our number one yeah. focus yeah. is for investors to yeah. get their money back and their interest every single time. All right guys, thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you so much. That's Paul Miliotis and Paul Mirren from a company called M Squared Capital. If you like this program, make sure you press the like button and sign up to become a subscriber. Uh, it goes out, as we say, on our, our Switzer Financial Group uh, YouTube channel, and you can get that each week. We go out on Thursday nights. 